0: Good morning. morning. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.15 that what the church is and what the most most pressing and urgent mission of the church is. He writes, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Of the truth. That's why the ministry of the Word occupies the central position in the church, and all other ministries come alongside to assist and strengthen it. And this is why the expository preaching of the Scriptures is the most prominent activity on every Lord's Day. Everything we do this morning is founded upon the Word of truth, so that each and every one of us here would know how to behave in the household of God and practice and live out our faith. In Christ Jesus. And I eagerly hope and pray that this sermon, the next 50 minutes, will help you to do just potentially longer, to, or just to help you to just do that. So with that said, let me pray for us, and we'll dive into the text. Let's pray. Lord, we need you this hour, this hour of the Lord's day, when your word is going forth, to nurture and nourish the hearts of your people, to save sinners, and to glorify Yourself. Help us in this hour because we need you. I need you to properly explain your word to your people and biblically apply it to them. I, uh, your people need you this hour so they may hear attentively with hearts of humility and a uh, desire to learn. I pray that we'll thirst, you, thirst after you this hour, and I pray that you will satisfy us in this hour through your word, we pray. Amen. All right, this sermon is about church membership, which is a visible and formal covenant among Christians. Not just showing up every Sunday, but a visible and formal covenant. What do they covenant together to do? What church members covenant or commit themselves to one another for the public worship of God, centering on the preaching and teaching of God's word, for the observance of the ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, for loving fellowship, and for church discipline. Basically, like Acts 2.42 says, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That is church membership. That's the thing that I want to talk about this morning. Now my goal is very simple. I want to show you from the scriptures, one, why every Christian, every single professing Christian is called to be a member of a healthy local church. Two, what responsibility you have as a member of Woodside Community Church. And three, what joy you can expect to reap from your faithful church membership. It is the why, the what, and the so what of church membership. Now, some of you may ask, why do we need to set apart a Sunday to have this one-off sermon on such a random topic? I'm already a member of this church, or even I've known everything there is about church membership. Why a sermon on church membership? Let me motivate us with three reasons why we should talk about church membership. Reason number one, we talk about church membership because of the primacy of the local church. The primacy of the local church. The reason why we as a church need to have a biblical understanding of the church, that's simply because the church is, the, is of the utmost value in the eyes of the Lord. How? Right? the Lord, the, God's glory is displayed now, mainly through the local churches. Ephesians 3.8, Paul writes, To me, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. If the whole creation from the beginning of time to the end of the age is the stage on which God's glory and wisdom are fully displayed, then the local church is the main character in this play. Now, also, not only so, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, died to purchase and redeem no other than the church. Ephesians 2, 5, 25, Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's only for the church that Christ laid down his life. And finally, the Holy Spirit is filling and working in nowhere else but the local church. There is no human institution that can rival or come anywhere close to the local church and bring spiritual life and growth to sinners. If there were, I would not be standing here urging you to be healthy local church members. I would be telling you to, be, to join that organization very quickly. Be a BJ's member. Right? Be a local gym member. Be an Amazon Prime Member, right? The primacy of the local church is a fundamental reason why we're talking about local church membership this morning. Reason number two. We talk about church membership because of the many different and unhealthy attitudes toward church membership among professing Christians. Many different and unhealthy attitudes. We Christians have many different and unbiblical attitudes toward church membership. Here's a list of different people's different opinions about church membership, in no particular order. I'm going to step on some toes here, but if you have been a Christian long enough, either you have been in one of these categories or you have seen or talked to someone in these categories. My desire is not to offend you, I want to gently exhort you to consider this matter a little more seriously, if this list describes you or someone you know. So here it goes. First of all, there are the religion defectors. They are the ones who say they love God, but they hate organized religion. Right? They love Jesus, but they oppose the church. They are spiritual, but not religious. It's just the Lord and the Bible and me. And then there are the church hoppers. They jump from one church to another, where they attend Bible studies at one, uh, this church, and then they go to Sunday service at another. You don't really see them at the same church for more than a few weeks in a row, because they are in the perpetual state of checking out or visiting two or three different churches. Then there are membership skeptics. They just don't think membership is necessary for Christians at all. After all, where in the Bible did the apostles and Jesus say we need to be church members? Then there are the disillusioned former members. They used to be members of some churches, maybe even very involved. But something terribly bad happened, and they lost their faith in churches. They began to believe Churches are just a bunch of hypocrites and sinners. What did you expect? Right? Uh, they became disillusioned. Right? Then they, there are the perpetual regular attenders. They will show up most of the Sundays, but they just never started this membership process. And then a little less consistent then the regular attenders are what I call the sporadic attenders. They come once in a while, and every time they show up, you wonder where they have been for the past few weeks or a few months. Right? Then there are the membership worshipers. They say, as long as I'm a member of a local church, I can feel more assured about my spiritual condition and the state of my soul. Whether I show up or get involved in the church, that's completely irrelevant. Whatever it takes. Please do not take me off the membership list. And lastly, there there are the contented members, church members at ease. They will hop in and hop out for an hour and a half every Sunday morning, but you will barely hear from them the rest of the week. They say, well, as long as I'm a member of of a local church, I'm satisfied. Well, I can take the Lord's Supper. I go to members meetings three times a year. I show up here and there. What more do you want from me? When there are varied opinions, it becomes necessary to ask and answer the question, what does the Bible say about church membership? Reason number three, we talk about church membership because of the context of this church. Because of the context of this church. On March 1st, 2020, on the eve of the pandemic, Matthew preached a sermon on church membership. The world around us has changed dramatically since then. And it has had some interesting effects on this congregation particularly. We have lost some members. Uh, We have added members. We have lost some attenders and we have gained some visitors. And some visitors became regular attenders. People moved away because they're getting married and people are staying here because they're getting married. So I don't think Uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we are in a period of transition and opportunity. We could either take advantage of this time to strengthen and grow and mature this church or keep the status quo and grow comfortable in it. There is a renewed need for us to have this membership talk again. And if we want to have this membership talk this morning, let's do it biblically. Searching the scriptures and seeing what God's word has to say about membership. So if you have the physical copy of the Bible with you, please turn to Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be in verses 1 through 31, which you can find on page 959 of the pew Bible. First Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 21. First Corinthians 12, 1 to 20 uh, to 31, sorry, 31. Let me read the text for you, and please pay close attention to every verse, because this is the word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating uh, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gift, gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. I want to draw your attention to three things from this text. First, the justification of church membership. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible does teach about church membership. We'll see why from 1 Corinthians 12. Secondly, the responsibility of church membership. Paul lays out clearly what we are called to do as members of our own local churches. And lastly, the joy of local church membership. Like joy and gladness are your expectation. That's your expectation when you become a healthy local church member. And we will briefly consider it at the end. So three simple points for you this morning. The justification, the responsibility, and finally the joy of church membership. So let's begin with point number one. The justification of church membership. Let me get to the point, the heart of the issue, right off the bat. This is the point I want to make. I want to make and prove to you from the scriptures All born-again Christians, all born-again Christians are called and commanded to seek and participate in local church membership. I'll say it again. All born-again Christians are called to seek and participate in local church membership unless hindered by providence. John Owen writes, every believer is bound by virtue of positive precepts, clear commands to join himself to a single congregation having the notes and marks whereby a true church may be known and discerned. And brothers and sisters, this is a matter of obedience, not options. A matter of principle, not preferences. Before explaining what I do mean, let me briefly tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you have to be a member of this church. We recognize The Woodside Community Church does not have monopoly over the truth. We're not so petty as to say if you're not with us, then you're being foolish. Maybe our church is too small or too big. Maybe you disagree with us doctrinally. Maybe you are too far from where you live. We're more than happy and thankful to the Lord if you are a member of a Bible-preaching, Christ-exalting, a mission-minded church. That's our desire. Like, I'm, not, I'm also not saying church membership is required for your faith or salvation. It's actually quite the opposite. Right? Your salvation and faith are required for church membership. And church membership is a congregational affirmation and testimony of your faith. Even though this testimony is far from perfect or infallible. Finally, I'm not guilt tripping you nor am I claiming it is an absolute sin to not be a member of a local church. I have no problem affirming some genuinely born-again believers they have never been church members. I only want to show you what the scripture has to say on this matter and kindly plead with you to, instead of dismissing it, think about it seriously. But the point I make still stands. Every Christian is called to actively seek church membership. And if possible, if providence so allows, become a church member. Now, where do we see that in the Bible? Well, First of all, accounting. Acts 2. After Peter preached the inaugural sermon of the Christian church, it was said, So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Then Acts four. 4. Many of those who have heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. How did they know there were 3,000 or 5,000? It stands to reason that the local church in Jerusalem in Acts 2 and 4 had a list of people who were considered part of the church. It's like a class action in a lawsuit, right? You need to have a very, very well defined, clear definition of the class and a list of people in that class. They are in the church, whereas other people are outside of the church, right? And in fact, the church throughout the ages continued this practice, conversion, church membership, and communion being inseparable. It was not until the 19th century When the Second Great Awakening happened in this country, more and more men were converted through ministries independent from the church. And because of that, more and more Christians began to value church membership less and less. Church history also attests to church membership. So so that's accounting. We know the numbers. And if we know the numbers, then it stands to reason that we know who is included in that numbers, who is in and who is out. And secondly, church discipline. Church discipline. Matthew 18, you know that passage. Jesus says, if a brother sins, confront him privately. Then bring another person. Then tell it to the church. Who should we tell exactly? Do we tell the person who shows up to church once in a while? Do we tell the regular attenders who pop in and pop out every Sunday morning? Jesus' words here obviously assumed a dividing line between those in and outside the church, members and non-members. This dividing line extends to other areas of the church life as well. Membership voting, Second Corinthians 2.6 mentions the word majority voting. If we do not know who is in the church, how can we know what the majority is? Membership behavior, First Timothy 3.5, I read it earlier. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. The very metaphor of household implies that we know who is in our family, who is not. So we know who is in the church and who is not. That's church membership. And finally, when Matthew preached on church membership two and a half years ago, he used John 15.12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love his people? A oh, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ shed his blood and established a new covenant with us. Christ's love is a committed love, a continual love, and a covenantal love. So we Christians ought to love one another in the same way, in a covenantal way. And that covenant is a covenant of church Membership, But this morning, I want to speak to you of another reason, and I personally find this reason most decisive and convincing, and it is this. You simply cannot understand the New Testament epistles well without the assumption of local church membership. Some texts will appear very strange at best and baffling at worst unless you read it through the lens of church membership. Case in point, the passage we just read, 1 Corinthians 12. You cannot make sense of the little details in Paul's words without church membership. Verse 1, look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Epistles are letters. Letters have their intended audiences and readers. Who is Paul talking to here? I do not, concerning spiritual gift, brothers, who are the brothers? I do not want you to be uninformed. Who are the you Paul wants to inform? Well, 1 Corinthians 1 2. Paul wrote this letter to the church of God that is in Corinth. Not just anyone who professes faith, not just anyone who is occasionally and regularly present, but to the church as a whole, and every believer that is formally part of it. So when Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, chapter 6, verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against another, or chapter 10, verse 1, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, it cannot be that Paul is just addressing an undefined group of people, or whoever happened to be there at the reading of this letter in the church of Corinth. It cannot be. Paul had a definitive set of individuals in his mind as he addressed them in this letter. And that has to be the members, people who are formerly part of that church in Corinth. So you see, without church membership, you cannot even fully understand and grasp words as simple as brothers or you. There's no way you can understand it. Let's keep moving, shall we? What is the issue in this chapter? Well, verse 1. He, he was very clear. Now concerning spiritual gifts. What about these gifts? Right? Verse 4. Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And again, verse 7. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The key words here are service and common good. Service implies someone is being served as someone is doing the serving. Common good implies there is a well-defined group of people whose interests are aligned with each other. We would have no way to discern what a common good is if we do not know whose interests and well-being are contained in this common good. Right. In fact, the Greek word for common good here, sumphero, literally means to bring together, not a vaguely or ill-defined, but a clear and well-organized group of people, knowing exactly what their common good is, who is contained in the common good. They come together and strive to build each other up. And that is church membership. Members serve members. Members seek the common good of the church. Then, we move on, in verses 12 through 20, Paul uses this famous metaphor of the human body to describe believers. Verse 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. I, I think this metaphor, in and of itself, is sufficient to establish the case of church membership. Well, not because the word member being used here, like body members, church members, members, members. So yeah, there you go, church members. Church membership is biblical. All right, that's, that's a little cheap in exposition. Uh, well, it's because of what this metaphor is trying to convey and describe. Right? Verse 15, look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body that will not make it any less a part of the body. When we look at our bodies, we know exactly what parts belong to it. And they're very committed to each other, to the extent that no part can be severed without a significant amount of pain. If you have pulled out a wisdom tooth, you know that's true. And the members of my body have no such relationship with anything else. My hand has no relationship with Andy's hands that just played guitar. My mouth has no relationship with your ears that are listening to me. The scripture uses this metaphor of the body also to describe marriage. A man and a woman becoming one flesh. The husband needs to treasure his wife as his own body. The metaphor of body always describes a well-defined relationship. One husband and one wife in the context of marriage. You know exactly who is in in the marriage and who is not. If you don't, that's disaster in the making. And naturally, also also church membership. A well-defined covenantal commitment and communion in the context of the local church. But there are problems in the Corinthian church. Verse 21, Paul continues, there are problems in the church. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Obviously, Paul's referring to the Corinthian church, right? They don't seem to like each other very much. But even this problem presupposes church membership. The Corinthians not liking each other makes little sense without church membership. Right? Think about this. My hands will never say to VJ's eyes, I have no need of you. Well, because that would be totally accurate, or legitimate. I cannot think of a single scenario where my hand survival and prosperity depends on Vijay's eyes. Right? It will only become a problem when my own hand, my own body, right? my own hands begin to despise my small Asian eyes. Well, it's a problem because they need to work together on my body. Right? In the exact same way, Paul is saying it is a big problem here that you should say this type of thing to each other. Why? Because you're supposed to be together. You're supposed to work together, to strive together for good. The words, I don't need you, presuppose some level of togetherness a unity. And that, in the context of the Corinthian church, is church membership. And in verse 25, Paul became even more plain. Look at verse 25. That there may be no division in the body whether the members may have the same care for one another. Here is a threat of division. How can there be division if there is not first some sort of unity? Here is a call for us to care for one another. How can there be one another if there is not first some degree of commitment? Who is the one another if there is no formally organized defined fellowship? You have no one to be one another with. And finally, verse 26. Verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This verse does teach us to show sympathy toward those around us generally, or right, in general. In a sense, it is true. Be empathetic, sympathetic, that's kind of a mark of a Christian life. Right? But this verse actually teaches us a little more, it describes the reality and the depth of our unity as a church in Christ, right? If there's one person in the church that suffers, everyone will feel the effect. If one person is honored, then everyone will rejoice together. That's both a reality and a command. Paul also wrote a similar thing in Romans twelve fifteen: Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, who is Paul commanding to, especially to suffer and rejoice? Who is included in the all? Right? Who am I called to suffer and rejoice together with? The person who shows up once in a while or the faithful member who is around to fellowship week after week? So you see the point. You, you just simply cannot understand this passage to its full extent without church membership. And I haven't even dived into the really deep parts of of this actual text. All this is just preparatory work. You just cannot fully carry out the one another commandments without church membership because you have no one to be one another with. Where does the Bible say we need to be church members? Answer, everywhere. Church membership is the background in which everything in the apostolic epistles could possibly make sense. It is such an unimaginable thing in the minds of the Lord Jesus and his apostles for Christians to not be local church members, that they didn't even feel the need to explicitly write it out in the Bible. Jesus said it in Matthew 18. The apostles practiced it in Acts 2, and Paul here wrote it in 1 Corinthians 12. That's why church membership is biblical. Now, let me address every single person here directly. If you are a visitor to Woodside Community Church, first time or the 10th time, welcome, and I praise and thank the Lord for directing you here. And by God's meticulous and sovereign providence, you are hearing a sermon on church membership. So, seriously seek church membership somewhere. Now, while you are here, grab someone after service and ask them anything about this church. Our doctrine, our practice, our fellowship, ask them why they became members of this church. Now, if you are a regular attender here, my obvious encouragement for you is to consider, to think what is hindering you from making a covenantal commitment with us. And I want to encourage you to seek membership here because you know us, because you know the people here. Some of you have been here way longer than I have been a Christian. You love the people here, and the people here love you as well. Every time we, we induct a church, members, a ch- church member, a, ch- a member into our church, it's as much for you as, for, as, as much for the church as it is for you, right? to encourage you, to move you, to affect you, to fellowship, to follow their examples. And finally, to the members, you're not off the hook. you know someone who is not a member. Sitting in this place right now, encourage them to consider church membership seriously. And I ask them how they found this church, uh, what they think about this church. Tell them why you love this church and why mini- what ministries we have at this church. You can love this church as members by building this church up. And that leads us to point number two, the responsibility of church membership. What sets church membership apart from your gym membership or Amazon Prime membership is that with church membership come not primarily with, uh, with benefits, but responsibilities. Not receiving, but rather giving. Church membership is very much a title and an office that come with job descriptions and expectations. As we'll see from the text, A duty-free church for you, a duty-free church membership is neither good for ourselves nor for others in the church. Now, according to this text in 1 Corinthians 12, there are two key responsibilities for a healthy church member. Two responsibilities. You need to remember. Responsibility number one, presence. Responsibility one is your presence. We are called to be present in each other's lives. Where do we see that in the text? Well, it's in the, in the metaphor. It's in the metaphor of the body, again. The members of our body are always present with each other. I'm glad none of them this morning decided that it's going to wander off and see what Matthew was doing in North Carolina. I'm very pleased, right? The remarkably profound, And vivid metaphor conveys a very remarkably simple point. The members of our body are always present with each other. That's to say, members of Woodside Community Church, be around, be around consistently, and be around consistently throughout the week. Be present when when there is the public worship of God on Sunday mornings, just as you promised in the members' covenant. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Show up to your small group, men's group, midweek Bible study, and Sunday schools, if providence so allows. I don't, I don't want to lay a burden on you. I know some of you are busy and tired. You live far, and you each have your circumstances, and you don't have to attend all these ministries, all, you know, all together. But at least... Making an effort to be at church is the most basic and fundamental responsibility you have as a member of this church and even as a, as a Christian. John Owen, he wrote in his Duties of Christian Fellowship, a very helpful and short book on what it means to be a church member, he listed 22 duties we have as church, mem- we have as church members. The very first of which, this is the most important one, believers are to attend regularly. And to submit to the preaching of the word and administering of the ordinances. They are to do this with willing obedience in the Lord. In other words, just as my body parts are always in my body, church members show up to church on Sundays and also the rest of the week. Come to church because your presence brings me personally a lot of joy and much joy to the people present at church. Now, being present with the body is not simply attending these public ministries of the word or or, or fellowship. It also means being present in each other's lives. Right? I'm not saying you get to invade other people's private lives or squeeze out every juicy detail of somebody else's life just for the sake of knowing it. Right? That's not what it means. This simply looks Like staying after service to catch up with one another, like calling or texting someone during the week to encourage, to counsel, and to pray together, grabbing meals with the struggling saints, having someone over to show hospitality, or something as simple as, say, going to the Hollies barbecue on the 16th, right? It does not mean you have to be at every event on the church calendar. But let's be honest, most of us, Probably err on the side of absence more than presence. A cursory reading of our text shows you that this togetherness of the body of Christ. Church members are together. That's the goal. in each other's presence and lives. So I encourage you to be present at church. And find someone to be together with. Because your number one responsibility as a church member is to be present. Responsibility number two. Service, service, responsibility number two, service. What is 1 Corinthians 12 about? It's about church membership, but church membership is really just a necessary foundation and context for another related topic. What's 1 Corinthians 12 about? Verse 1, look at verse 1. Paul tells you right at the beginning what he's up to. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Started with church membership because spiritual gifts make no sense without church membership. Paul is saying, now that we have, we've talked about church membership, we can finally get to the main issue, spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? They are a variety of God-given, a spirit-empowered talents or strengths for every believer to build up and edify others in the church. Uh, let me explain this, this a little bit more through, the, uh, through, the, through our text. So first of all, the origin of spiritual gifts. Where do spiritual gifts come from? They come to every believer or from to believers from the sovereign God through the empowering Holy Spirit. From the sovereign God through the empowering Holy Spirit. God gives gifts in whatever way he sees fit. Right? You see the sovereignty in God's gift giving repeatedly in our text. Verse 11, look at verse 11. The spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and so on. The sovereign God is the giver of every spiritual gift. Therefore... When you use your spiritual gifts to serve this church, be thankful to God who equipped you this way. When you are the beneficiary of someone else's spiritual gift and service, remember to praise God who gave that gift you are benefiting from. It's called spiritual gifts. It's not something we earned. It's purchased by the blood of Christ. It's purely by grace. So be grateful for grace in every Gift. Now, spiritual gifts are also empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse six. Look at verse six. It's the same God who empowers them in all, empowers them all in everyone. Verse eleven. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Verse thirteen. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. In other words, the Father is the gift giver, the Spirit is the executor to enable and empower us to properly exercise these gifts. Right? Paul would say elsewhere in uh, Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. The Spirit strengthens every believer to work and to serve. Therefore, when you use your spiritual gifts, remember it is not you, but through the Spirit who dwells in you. You must put in the effort. You must strive. You must toil. But you must always remember the success does not depend on you. The power lies not in you. It's in the Spirit of God. I was once again reminded of the simple truth and principle as I prepared the sermon. I must put in the work. The sermon is not gonna write itself, right? The Bible study is not gonna just pop up, right? I have to do the work, but the power is in the Spirit. I must labor and toil diligently, but it is the Spirit who brings fruit and works wonders. Brethren, rely on the Spirit and not on yourself, because that will bring you much joy, much comfort, and much assurance as you labor for the Lord. That's one, the origin, of spiritual gifts. Secondly, the variety of spiritual gifts. Right? This is everywhere in this text. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts. Verse 5, there are varieties of service. Verse 6, there are varieties of activities. Twice in this passage, Paul lists different spiritual gifts in the church. Verse 8, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecies. Verse 28, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, helping, administrating. Some of these gifts have ceased today, right? Apostles, no apostles, miracles, healings, but many still exist, right? That's a topic for another day. I have no time to prove to you. Some of these don't exist anymore, but some of them don't. But a lot of them still do. But it does not take away my main point. Just as there are varieties of members in our body, each given a different function, the eyes to see, the hands to hold, the feet to walk, so it is with the church. There are many gifts given to Woodside Community Church, this church as well. And the text also says very clearly, everyone has a spiritual gift. Verse seven, verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, For common good. Verse 13. All were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 18. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. When someone is born again by the spirit, God gives that person one or multiple spiritual gifts. And as he grows and matures, he he may put them to use for the spiritual good of others in the church. Therefore, none of us could say, eh, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't have a spiritual gift, so peace out, I'm off the hook. Right? You have a spiritual gift. You have a spiritual gift from God. How can someone drink from the Holy Spirit and not have a spiritual gift? That's like accusing the Spirit for not giving you what He promised to give you. You have a spiritual gift from God through the Spirit, and now it's your responsibility to discover it through prayer and service, then sharpen it through prayer and service, and then use it through prayer and service. Now, if everyone has a gift, and all the gifts come from God, then let there be no jealousy or competition. That's precisely what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. In the Corinthian church, there, were, there was this unity. Some believe that they are more exalted and valuable than others. They are the key players of the church. What would the church do without us? And they despised other people. Verse 21. Verse 21. What did Paul say about them? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Do not be jealous just because God is using someone else more mightily, but be grateful and thank the Lord for His grace. Or be quick to recognize other people's gifts and honor them. You are different in gifting, but you are equal and status. On the other hand, the flip side of this, we do not get to despise other people's spiritual gifts, and we do not get to despise our own spiritual gifts. There should be no self-loathing or contempt. verse 15, look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that's self-loathing. And what does Paul say? that would not make it any less a part of the body. That does not make you any less to, to function and operate within this church. We cannot say, I, you know, I can preach as well as Matthew. I cannot counsel as well as Mike. I cannot administer as well as Vijay. I cannot lead praise as well as Andy. I cannot be a hospitable like the Brummers or the Hollies. Well, then I'm useless to this church. Let's not loathe ourselves because your gift comes from God. And every gift is equally valuable for the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Your gifts are absolutely necessary for the body of Christ. Because if everyone preaches, who is going to administer or encourage or help if you, your gift also makes the body of Christ more beautiful. Right? Verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Like, can you imagine like a body with just a giant eyeball like Mike Wazowski? Like That would be terrifying. Right? Your gift makes the body more beautiful. Right? Thirdly, the purpose of the gifts. The purpose of the gifts. What do we do with the spiritual gifts we receive? Well, Use them, right? Verse 7. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Owen writes, Believers should engage in frequent spiritual conversation, which in Older English simply means interactions, not just verbal interactions, but in all interactions and fellowship. Believers should engage in frequent spiritual conversations or interactions or fellowships for edification, according to the measure of their gifts. Spiritual gifts are from our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding and the good of the body of the Son. How do you do that in the context of Woodside Community Church? How do we do that? This looks differently to different gifts. To exercise my gift, I attend a teacher's meeting every month at the church and I tell everybody my availability And then I go home, I prepare for Bible studies and sermons, the boring stuff, and then I teach and I preach. For the encouragers and the prayer warriors of this church, you may reach out to someone and grab a meal or pray with them. So all this is to say, different gifts are used practically in very different ways. But in general, I found these things to be helpful in, uh, in exercising spiritual gifts. Number one is initiation. Initiation. If you see a need then take charge. Mike Murray wanted to be useful to this church. He started a men's fellowship. Judy and Nicole wanted to pick up the women's Bible Sunday school. They started it. Our evangelistic ministry is very much lacking. Someone needs to take charge. Our visitation ministry could use some help. Someone could contribute. Look for the needs of this church and fill them. And then number two is participation. Again, show up. Show up. If you do not show up, you can't use your spiritual gifts. But if you do, at least you give your spiritual gift a chance to be exercised. We're trying to get better at prayer, so show up after service to pray. We're trying to make Bible study a little more accessible, so show up to learn and to contribute. And then finally, initiation, participation, and edification. When you take initiative, or when you participate in someone else's initiation, contribute. Edify. And encourage with whatever understanding and wisdom God has given you through the word initiation, participation, and edification. I found these things to be most helpful. And then finally, very quickly, the dependency of spiritual gifts. The dependency of spiritual gifts. This again, this goes back to the body metaphor. We need one another, we need you, we need every person of this church to contribute and function properly and consistently so that the body can operate well and prosper. There are no wisdom teeth or appendix in the body of Christ that you can just cut off. No, what's a community church? As a matter of fact, every single local church would be limping forward if the typical member is more of a taker than a giver. It would be like a man with two feet cut off. Can he still go forward? Yes, he can. But now his hands will have to do the walking for him. It will be slow. It will be painful. The gift of preaching needs the gift of encouragement to battle the Monday blue. If you don't know what that is, I'll tell you. The gift of exhortation needs the gift of hospitality to be more palatable and easily acceptable. The gift of knowledge needs the gift of counseling to apply to people's lives well. We need each other. We need each other more than we know. We need all of you. And that is your responsibility as members of this church. Presence and service. Show up. Be around. Care about each other's lives. Discover and sharpen your spiritual gifts. and Use it for the glory of God and the good of this church. No time for point number three. Let me, be very br- let me very briefly touch on number three, the joy of church membership. The joy of church membership. If you consistently show up and exercise your spiritual gifts for others, you can most certainly expect two of the greatest joys in Christian life. Your greatest joy as a church member is your intimate communion with the Lord Jesus. Intimate communion with the Lord Jesus. How close is our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Verse 27, look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, if G- even though Christ has ascended and he is now seated at the right hand of God, we are as close to him as the members of our body are close to the head. How so? Because when we rightly exercise our spiritual gifts, there is a great sense of Christ-likeness. But Christ is displaying himself to us through one another. First right? 1 Peter 4.11, we just read, Whoever speaks as one speaks the miracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. When someone speaks the word of Christ to me, I am enriched by Jesus Christ himself. When someone encourages me, I am built up by the gentleness, kindness, and the love of Christ himself. Christ is showing himself to us so intimately and closely through one another. We are all Christ-like in some ways and we're showing each other Jesus Christ through the spiritual gifts with which he has gifted us. And there's also the second joy, the joy of our intimate communion with one another. There is this great oneness, togetherness, and union among church members. Verse 4, the same spirit, verse 5. The same Lord, verse 6. The same God, verse 13. In one spirit we were all baptized into one body, verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. There is one body. Uh, what is the direct result of this one body? Verse 25. The members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored all rejoice together. Right? When trials come, if you have been around, if, if you have been there for others, if you have been a blessing to many others in this church, it is less likely that you will be alone in your suffering. Someone will come alongside with you to listen to you, to weep with you, to bring comfort to you, and to suffer with you. When blessing finally breaks the gloomy clouds of affliction, then the same people will share your joy so that your joy May be full. But who will be there with you if you are never around and no one really knows what is going on? There is great joy in local church membership and there is great joy in giving and receiving from one another. So I encourage you, if you are not yet members of any local church, to come and read the joy that is freely yours in Christ Jesus through the body of Christ in the local church. And if you are a member of this church, then Build up the body, uh, the body of Christ with what God has given you and what the Spirit is working so mightily within you. Presence and service so that you may reap the great joy of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the primacy of the local church. You have died, Lord Jesus, you have died for no one else but your church. You have called us, every single one of us, who professes your name to be members of your local church. I pray that everyone here will take that command seriously, to actively seek local church membership. And once we have become members, I pray that you will motivate us, stir each, uh, all of us here up, so that we may use that gift actively to serve the good of another in a self-sacrificial and a Christ-like manner. I pray that you will fill our hearts with great joy, the joy of communion with you and with one another, seeing Christ's likeness in one another, and glorify your name all our days here in your church. Build up your church here at Woodside Community Church, I pray. Please raise up more and more men and women in this church who desire, who are eager to exercise their gifts for the good of others and for the upbuilding of this house of the Lord, we pray. Amen.